Erut, Erut, er, Erution, Erution. Was that it? I can't, I've already forgotten. <laughs> but but it's not Erution. God, I gotta read for you stuff. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I am a grown man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them now as an adult because I'm on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on as a society. And I'm not here alone. And I'm very excited for this episode because the title of the podcast has never been more true in this episode because our guest for this week is an Olympic figure skater, winner of a bronze medal in 2018 in the Team Figure your skating event. It's Brady Tanell. Brady, how's it going? It's good. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> I am beyond excited. When I received an Instagram DM from someone who was a literal Olympian and listener of the show, I thought, well, I got to get her on because <laughs> my title as an Olympian, quote unquote, has always been a farce. I had no idea <laughs> when I titled the show that I would be I guess indirectly calling myself a Greek god, which feels ridiculously pompous. So I'm glad to have you on the show as a true, legitimate Olympian. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. And I love being able to use that title as like kind of a double entendre. It makes <laughs> my my 14-year-old Percy Jackson obsessed heart very happy. <laughs> yeah. So let's dive into that 14-year-old obsessed heart. What is your history with the Percy Jackson books? How'd you get into them? Where's your fandom lie now? All that good stuff. So it's actually a really funny story how I how I got into them. I had known about them for a few years prior to actually starting them. But because of Harry Potter and Voldemort and how scary Voldemort was, I was actually a little bit afraid to read them. Okay. So I actually, I didn't start them until, I don't know why I remember this so clearly, but it was 2012 and I had made the national championships for the first time. And I had gotten a Kindle for Christmas. And I was like, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity to start reading these books. And I just remember being so focused on these books that my mom was like, Brady, you need to focus on the competition. Like, <laughs> I'll never forget sitting in the airport on the way home, reading the final battle in the Sea of Monsters. Every time I'm in the San Jose airport, I pass that spot and I'm like, mm, I remember. <laughs> but yeah, so I actually like met my best friend through these books. We bonded over these books. Um I just basically grew up reading them and I've always loved Greek mythology. So they're a huge part of my personality. <laughs> That's fantastic. How did you meet your best friend through? Was it just someone at school you happened to talk about the Percy Jackson books and then you had a new friend? No, actually it was skating. <gasps> oh, nice. Yeah, she saw me reading one of the books, I think, and we instantly just bonded. We were like, oh my God, this happened and this happened. And yeah. It was history. We were gone. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So when you actually did get to become a literal Olympian, did your Percy Jackson heart feel happy as well? Like, I'm doing it. I might not have magical powers, but I get to legitimately say on my resume, hello, it's me, an Olympian. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and now I'm just imagining you, I don't know how much say you have over like the routine or the outfit, but I'm just imagining you finding ways to sneak Percy Jackson <laughs> references in, you know, it's like, oh, she's gone with an orange and black leotard this time. <laughs> you know what? I'm not ashamed to say that there have been a few instances where I've like, 
for all the super fans out there, I've managed to sneak in a few references over the years in interviews and stuff. So I'm 100% that girl. So is there any of those that you can reveal that wouldn't spoil me or? (laughs) It was like kind of a long time ago. So I don't remember. I just remember being like, (laughs) they'll never know unless (laughs) like. (laughs) Oh, I said that someone on my team is a very wise girl. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) amazing. That's very exciting. I'm excited to have you on. And we are going to be continuing our way through the Battle of the Labyrinth. We're going to finish up Chapter 8 and see how much of Chapter 9 that we can get into. Chapter 8 turns out big and beefy. So we are going to pick up where we last left our heroes, which was Percy was about to go to sleep. And we know that that means very fun, not scary things are ahead. His dreams are always cool and normal and nice. And bad things never happen to anyone. (laughs) This poor kid can never sleep. Like I feel so bad for him. And now we've entered a situation, and we'll see as we go through this dream, where he used to have the issue of, oh, when I have dreams, bad things happen to me. Now, no one is safe, because now he's having dreams where bad things happen to other people. And uh, it's just not easy for Percy Jackson just to go to sleep. Can't even take a nap in peace. No. So Percy is taking his turn to go to sleep because Annabeth was trying to stay up and Percy said, no, I'm going to do it. Now he's going to bed. So when he sleeps, of course, he has a dream and his dream places him back in the labyrinth and it's back in the past with this old man who we've seen before. Now, the prison looks a little bit more like a workshop. The boy is a little bit older. He is closer to Percy's age. And the narrator, Percy, says, quote, a weird funnel device was attached to the forge's chimney, trapping the smoke and heat and channeling it through a pipe into the floor next to a big bronze manhole cover. And at this point, I was wondering, okay, is this just flavor text or is this relevant, which is always the eternal struggle of me reading these books? Yeah, I don't think we ever figure out where that goes to honestly (laughs) i think the only part that's relevant is the manhole cover and i guess the rest of it is just to show you that it works maybe so that engineering workshop types don't reach out to uncle rick uh the workshop would actually have a chimney that would channel the smoke and the heat (laughs) that's true that's true the smoke's got to go somewhere of course Percy notes that it's the daytime, and Percy, as I, found it a bit odd that part of the labyrinth would just be open to the air outside. The old man is looking very frail, and his hands look overworked, his clothes are all greasy, and he appears to be working on some sort of chainmail-type outfit. And as he's working on it, he announces that it's done. And narrator Percy says, It was so beautiful, my heart leaped. Metal wings constructed from thousands of interlocking bronze feathers. There were two sets. One still lay on the table. Daedalus stretched the frame, and the wings expanded 20 feet. Part of me knew it could never fly. It was too heavy, and there'd be no way to get off the ground. But the craftsmanship was amazing. Metal feathers caught the light and flashed 30 different shades of gold. And these descriptions, oh. When I was reading this, just I was like, this workshop has got to be insanely large for these metal wings to be like 20 feet wide, like 20 feet total wide. I, it's a big spot for sure. Yeah. And then as I was reading, I was thinking, OK, wings. We've talked about open sky. Is this some sort of escape attempt? And then just jokingly in my notes, thinking this would be a joke on my comedy podcast. I wrote Icarus in all caps with question marks and then. Literally the next line, (laughs) the boy calls his father a genius and the old man smiles and says, tell me something I don't know, Icarus. So immediately I was like, oh, cool. That's fun. I get, oh no, this is going to get really sad really quickly. (laughs) That's funny you say that because reading this the first time, I 
immediately knew by just like what he was creating i knew which uh story it was because oh, nice. obviously i was obsessed with greek mythology so i already knew that it was going to go downhill very quickly right. and i will say we haven't gotten there yet but mm-hmm. i will say that this particular dream and flashback to this story like stayed with me for a very long time. I don't know why, but... <laughs> it's very vivid, and it's something that Kelly, my wife, has said on previous episodes. The imagery in this book is so clear that you feel like you're there, and whether it's the dreams or walking through the tunnel or even just the interactions with the characters that we run into later in this chapter, I agree. I feel like Rick was already really strong about setting the scene, but truly I can envision everything. And that's a problem for happiness when the dreams you're able to envision are very sad and terrifying, which is (laughs) what we're going to get into here. Now, I didn't know anything truly about the Icarus story, except for the classic idioms and colloquialisms of Icarus flew too close to the sun. Mm -hmm. I would imagine they're not metal wings in the original story, which is a fun twist on it. I don't think so. And I didn't know that Daedalus even did them or if Daedalus is his dad or if that was an Uncle Rick stylization. Regardless, I'm very excited to learn about this with Dr. Moya. Now, Daedalus tells Icarus to hurry because it'll take at least an hour to attach the wings. And then they start fastening the wings to each other's backs. Daedalus says that the wax compound should hold for several hours. And at this point, I'm just cringing and (laughs) squirming in my chair. (laughs) Me too. I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) I know what's going to happen. It's going to melt. Yeah. And it just gets even worse because Mm -hmm. Daedalus warns against flying too high or too low because the sea could wet the seals or if you fly too high you know the sun might have to melt them and i already thought this couldn't get any worse but then it gets even worse because icarus finishes the sentence that daedalus says because daedalus says the low part and then is about to say the high part and icarus finishes the sentence saying yeah and flying too close to the sun would melt them i know we've been over this a million times and uh i just couldn't be more uncomfortable reading this just the ultimate I know what's going to happen, and this is the worst. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a moment coming up. I made a note that I felt exactly the same way. <laughs> okay, please tell me what it is when we get to it. Is it maybe this next part when narrator Percy says, quote, it was obvious he loved his son more than anything in the world? Because that <laughs> really stung. Yes, no, that was exactly the spot that I, I made a note. I was like, I feel like this is just Uncle Rick going off and just really trying to drive home how tragic this is. Just like... yeah. Really paint in the picture there. Yeah, you thought you've heard of tragic Greek stories before. How can I make this the most tragic and heartbreaking as possible? Hello, it's me, Rick Riordan. I've come to make you cry. (laughs) So they continue fastening the wings. Daedalus says that he thinks he's doing it too slowly. Icarus tells him to take his time because the guards aren't due until, and then there's a boom on the door. Something is trying to break down the door. Daedalus has braced the door. The door stays in place, but the left door begins to crack after further booms. Daedalus rushes to complete the sealing of the wings to the straps, but he thinks they need more time for the seal to hold. Icarus says it'll be fine. He is incredibly incorrect. And he asks for help with the manhole, which is part of their escape attempt. Everything was not fine, Icarus. Everything was not fine. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. The doors to the workshop burst open. Turns out the guards were using a bronze battering ram. Two guards and the king enter. And the king, who I hate so much... He is so gross. He says, well, well, going somewhere? And he has entered 
so hateable that I appreciate him as a villain, but I do truly hate this guy. Same. Daedalus and Icarus freeze, but Daedalus says that they are leaving, and he refers to the king by name as Minos, and I realize that I probably should have gathered that because we've already had reference to the Minotaur and the Labyrinth, and I knew this was a thing but completely forgot it, and I can only look back to the old episodes where I go, who's this evil king with the cone beard? <laughs> and laugh because obviously it was King Minos. <laughs> Okay, but I love your predictions and guesses because it's so fun for me knowing the story so well. And I'm just like, I sit there listening and I'm just like, oh, Mike, no. Yeah, I don't know if I actually came up with any sort of prediction for King Minos, but I am always down to predict because either I get things right, like I call Thalia being a tree way in advance, mm -hmm. or I accidentally stumble upon Ares being the bad guy in the first book, or I might be super wrong because I'm currently not trusting of Paul Blofus or Juniper, and I just feel like both can't be evil, but I also don't trust either of them farther than I could throw them. I will say nothing. Uh-huh, and your trapdoor will stay <laughs> in place and not activate. <laughs> so... Minos chuckles, and he says that he was curious to see how far Daedalus would get on this project before he crushed their dreams, and he says he's impressed, but he adds that they look like metal chickens, and then he lays down a very cool joke where he says, perhaps we should pluck you and make a soup, and the guards laugh uproariously with one going, metal chickens, and the other saying, soup. So they're basically just the personified version of a YouTube comment section where people just comment the funniest part of a video, especially Actually, I find that frustrating when it's a short video and the whole point of it is just one joke and then people comment the joke and then it gets all the thumbs ups. Like, yeah, that's why we're watching this Vine because it's six and a half seconds long exactly. and there's one joke in it. You are just quoting the Vine. Why is this the most <laughs> thumbs up comment on the YouTube video? Honestly, when I read it over again, like two days ago to prep for this, I just immediately thought of Crab and Goyle. I was like, oh, Yo. okay, so they're... <laughs> Yeah, they're just those bully henchmen types that just laugh or go along with whatever the bully is saying, and Minos is a big bully. Mm -hmm. Minos silences his guards and says to Daedalus, you let my daughter escape, old man. You drove my wife to madness. You killed my monster and made me the laughing stock of the Mediterranean. You will never escape me. Icarus then grabs the wax gun and sprays the king, who steps back in surprise. The guards approach, but Icarus hits both of them with wax as well, and then Icarus yells, The vent! to Daedalus. Minos orders the guards to stop them. Daedalus and Icarus open the manhole cover together. Hot air billows out, and the father-son pair use it as a boost, like they're a bunch of video game characters, and they take off into the sky. Again, very fun visuals here, and very silly, goofy way to make this happen. I'm sure this is very different from the actual myth, but it's a very fun vibe and I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. And as like a young kid reading it, you think it's like the coolest thing ever. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Like, of oh my God, they just flew out of a hole. <laughs> yeah, they use it as a boost. It's basically an engineered double jump. How can you not love it? So Minos orders the guards to shoot them, but they don't have any bows, so that makes that order hard to fulfill. One throws a sword at them to no avail, which is great. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. That would be very much Kreb and Goyle of, I don't know, I'll chuck a sword at them. <laughs> It just felt very like, oh, what is, okay, like, just not, you tried, good job. <laughs> this will surely work, yeah. So they fly out of the maze, and they go across the city of Gnosis, which I have not heard of, and they go past Crete. Icarus is elated, and he starts to spread his wings to their full capacity so that he can truly soar, and he's flying on the wind. Daedalus warns for him to be careful, but Icarus starts going full trick mode by flying into the air very high and then nosediving and leveling out just above the sea. And 
I was just so frustrated here. Yes, I'm obviously sad, but literally a couple of minutes ago, you two just had a conversation about not flying too high or too low, and you've just done both, Icarus. Yeah. Uh, as much as I want to feel sad for him, he's being kind of a dunce. A little bit, a little bit. But honestly, you know, I would probably do the same thing. I can't yeah. blame you. <laughs> Are you the type where, I, I guess in figure skating, it's a little different than sports like football where you could score and then do a celebration. But did you ever injure yourself celebrating or something like that? I, I know this happens in other sports for sure. No, I haven't. Thank goodness. Yeah, I usually just do like a solid fist pump at the end because I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, completely valid. I totally get it. But yeah, a fist pump, much more safe and secure than flying too high and too low to the point where your wings or I guess in your case, your skates would pop off. Come on, Icarus. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. So he is in full trick mode. He's nose diving. He's just above the sea. They are very far out from the shore now. And Daedalus calls for Icarus to stop. But Icarus tells him not to worry because Daedalus is a great inventor and he trusts his work. And I get that you're complimenting your dad and stuff, which is very sweet. But also, maybe listen to your dad as well. Yeah. And of course, right on cue, the metal feathers begin to fall off. Daedalus tries to coach Icarus as to how to best manage the situation, telling him to extend the wings fully and to glide while staying as still as possible. And of course, that doesn't work because Icarus is panicked, so he starts to frantically flap his wings to try and regain control, and that is the worst thing he could have done in this situation. I always imagined this like that really annoying game, Flappy Bird. Oh. Like Flappy Bird is Icarus in this moment. Shout out to Flappy Bird. I don't know, in the nicest possible way, how old are you? I'm 24. <laughs> okay, quite young. Oh, wow. All right. So let me, as the 30-year-old <laughs> grandpa in the room, Flappy Bird came out when I was a freshman or a sophomore in college. So I think 2012. And it captivated the world. And I'm sure it mm -hmm. would still captivate younger folks like yourself, but me and my roommates would just kind of sit in our dorm room and play Flappy Bird on our iPod touches. And Flappy Bird and Words with Friends were like the two things. Oh Doodle God. Jump, Flappy Bird, and Words with Friends had a hold yes. over us. I remember Flappy Bird was such a wild thing where it was so popular that the app developer shut it down because he couldn't handle the server overloads. And the fact that he did that instead of turn it into Flappy Bird stealing all of our data, shout out to the inventor of Flappy Bird. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It was a game predicated <laughs> on frustration. Yeah. And it was tricky. And I can still envision that smiling 8-bit-ish little bird just trying to get him through the little columns. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, so the left wing rips away. Icarus cries out for his father, and the right wing breaks off, and Icarus begins to plummet towards the sea with his arms spread in a failed attempt to glide, and Percy suddenly awakens. He has the feeling of falling like he was in the dream, and he was falling, and uh, it's just sadness all around here. Yes. I can't tell you how many times I've also had a dream where I was falling on the ice and then all of a sudden oh. woke up. <laughs> so I really, really identify with Percy here. Yeah. I've had, I guess, my version of the dream where I am playing basketball and I have a really easy wide open shot. And for whatever reason, I can't make it. Either my eyes aren't working properly and I can't mm -hmm. see the rim or I just keep airballing it. And then it's really embarrassing. So, yeah, I, I can understand the uh, sports-related stress dream. Never fun. Never a good moment. <laughs> 
So Percy is awake now, and he thinks that he can hear that within the moaning of the labyrinth that is just a constant audible vibe in the labyrinth, which sounds super cool and fun, he thinks he can hear the sound of Daedalus calling out his son's name as he fell. And what was very funny is narrator Percy literally wrote as his son plummeted towards the sea, which is how I wrote the notes a little bit earlier. Because something I intentionally tried to do is not just write exactly what the book has in just a different Mm -hmm. tense or perspective. So I was thinking, oh, let me write this differently because the book says something like fall towards the ocean or whatever. So I said, ah, plummet towards the sea. And then two (laughs) sentences later, narrator Percy says plummet towards the sea. So I did my best, Rick. I'm trying hard to not plagiarize your books. I don't think I would get in trouble for that because of commentary, fair use purposes. But please, (laughs) I didn't try to quote it. Now, the next morning, the team eats some granola bars and juice boxes, a very balanced breakfast, and they head out, continuing through the labyrinth. In a rare move, Percy Jackson does not share his dream with everyone because something about it really shook him to his core, and he feels like it's not important to share it with everyone. And in this case, I do agree because I feel like they all know about Daedalus. They know about the workshop. I don't know how valuable it would be for them to know about Icarus and the wings and Minos and all of that until maybe later on when Minos gets referenced later in this chapter. And I would hope that when it becomes irrelevant, Percy could give the full explanation if need be. But I agree. I don't think it's super crucial that he explains the sadness to everyone just to really damper the already soaking wet moods. (laughs) Yeah, I have to agree with you on that one, especially right at the beginning of the quest. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no need to drag the mood down further. (laughs) Right. Good morning, everyone. Here's some sadness. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think he, he needs to do it. I support him here. Now, they're continuing through the labyrinth and they had stone tunnels where they started, but they changed to dirt and cedar beams as if they are inside of a gold mine. And Annabeth is confused, saying that it should still be stone. They enter a cave that has stalactites and a pit looking like a grave in the center. And Grover says that it smells like the underworld in this room. And initially, I kind of thought nothing of it. Okay, yeah, the tunnel smells bad, maybe monsters. But then Percy sees a foil wrapper and he turns on his flashlight and he sees a half-eaten burger floating in some brown carbonated muck. So he and I then both realize, this is where Nico was before. Oh, Nico, this poor kid. (laughs) Oh, Nico. We'll get into Nico a little bit later on. Yes. So Percy voices this aloud. And at first I was surprised, but I guess he's told everyone what's up with Nico. And I think he's shared the iris message stuff with everybody so i guess everyone's on the same page tyson is spooked because this means that ghosts were here before and percy can sense that nico is nearby so he runs off and annabeth calls out for percy and she chases after him with tyson and grover and i can understand percy's excitement but dude we know about the labyrinth people get lost at the very least announce what you're doing or say follow me Mm -hmm. you can't get separated in general you can't get separated in the labyrinth I know. When they first fell into the labyrinth at camp during the war games, Annabeth was like super nervous and they took like three steps and it was like an hour. And then all of a sudden he just like here takes off down the tunnel like, come on, Percy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Come on, Percy. Read back a couple chapters ago and remember how (laughs) scary the labyrinth is. Percy arrives at a tunnel where he can see daylight above through a steel grate. Percy asks where they are, and then a cherry red cow stares at him through the grate. And narrative Percy says, I didn't know cows came in that color, which is (laughs) fantastic. Yep. 
Grover identifies the grate as a cattle guard, which I only recently learned about because when I was in New Zealand, we had to drive up to a gate to do a hiking thing, and we had to park by a cattle guard, and there were signs that warned about cattle guards, so I actually knew about this thing. Wee! It's kind of like that weird thing where once you learn about something or once you learn a word, you then immediately see it the next day. Mm -hmm. No joke, I was reading about 2012 stuff last night on Reddit, and someone said, ah, 2012, we were all playing Flappy Bird. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> so it's <laughs> wild how all this stuff can come about. But yeah, Cattle Guard, as Grover explains, is a great type metal structure that they will put at the gate of a ranch to keep the cattle from getting out. And it's funny that they make the exact joke where Percy goes, how does that keep the cattle out? I don't get it. And Grover has to go, look, if you had hooves, you'd understand. Because truly, it doesn't look like something that would really keep out cattle. It is just kind of like metal bars spaced out a little bit where I guess the hooves mm -hmm. wouldn't fit in. But it looks incredibly unassuming. But I guess they work because they were all over this part of New Zealand that we were driving. Huh. Interesting. Because of all the talks of cattle and ranches and all of that, this causes Percy to remember Hera mentioning something about a ranch, and he thinks that they should visit it because he thinks that Nico could be there. And I don't exactly know why Nico would be at the ranch, but I get it, so sure. Annabeth is cool with it, but wonders how they will get into the ranch. And Tyson very easily pops off the cattle guard just with a two-handed push, and it flies off. It does startle a cow, and Tyson apologizes, because of course he does. He's perfect. I love Tyson so much. <laughs> how can you not? So they arrive at the ranch, and the ranch has all red cattle, at least what we first see. Annabeth identifies them as the cattle of the sun. Percy and I are confused as to what that means, so Percy asks what that means. And Annabeth says that the cattle of the sun are sacred to Apollo. And Percy asks, holy cows? And that <laughs> gave me a hearty chuckle, an audible hearty chuckle. What a great dad joke from Uncle Rick. Yeah, me too. I, I made a note and I was like, Uncle Rick really coming through with the dad jokes. <laughs> Truly, he is a specialist. He's doing quite well. Mm-hmm. Annabeth begins to wonder what they're doing here, but Grover tells her to wait and to listen. Narrator Percy then says, At first everything seemed quiet, but then I heard it. The distant baying of dogs. I had to Google that, and apparently baying means howling if you are a hunting type dog. The sound got louder. Then the underbrush rustled and two dogs broke through. Except it wasn't two dogs. It was two dogs lobster. No, it was uh, one dog with two heads and it looked like a greyhound. Long and snaky and sleek brown, but its neck veed into two heads, both of them snapping and snarling and generally not very glad to see us. So... Scary two-headed dog situation going on. Yes, I do not like the idea of that. <laughs> no, and we've already had scary three-headed dog with Cerberus, who in this book is canonically scary, but also still a good boy that loves a ball. Two-headed dog, terrifying as well. And Tyson just identifies this dog in the most perfect way by saying, bad Janice dog. <laughs> just tremendous, tremendous yep. stuff from Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Grover gives it an arf and raises his hand to greet it and then its master then appears from the woods and Percy is more worried about this dude than the dog because Percy describes this guy as a huge guy with white hair, a cowboy hat and a braided white beard narrator Percy says kind of like Father Time if Father Time went redneck and got totally jacked which is an incredible description I feel like Uncle Rick really just went 
off the rails with the Texas description here. <laughs> yes, he does make it very Texan by saying that this guy is wearing jeans and a don't mess with a Texas shirt, but that shirt shouldn't be menacing because fun fact for anyone out there that doesn't know, I know this as someone that's lived in Texas for 10 years, that was started from a recycling campaign. Don't mess with Texas started as a way to literally tell people not to mess with Texas, and it was a way to get people to not litter. So I guess not necessarily recycling, but it was an anti-littering campaign, and it morphed into what it is today with very Texan people saying, oh, don't mess with Texas. We were our own country for one point in time. Yeah, you were your own country from one point in time because you seceded from Mexico because Mexico abolished slavery and you said, no, thank you. <laughs> Never brag about being in your own country of Texas. You were your own country for the worst possible reason. Oh my God, I had no idea that's what it was. <laughs> no one had any idea because U.S. history textbooks never tell you any of the bad stuff. No. Oh, Texas wanted independence. Yeah, why did they want independence? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yes, Don't Mess With Texas, legitimately an anti-littering campaign that has now rebranded as a cool, tough guy campaign. But anyway, this guy's wearing jeans, a Don't Mess With Texas shirt, and a denim jacket with the sleeves ripped off. And Percy describes this as, so you can see his muscles. I wonder, is the Texas shirt also ripped? Or has he got a weird vibe where he has a t-shirt and then a vest? <laughs> That's also what went through my head. I was like, hmm. Okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, I read back to make sure it wasn't a Don't Mess With Texas tank top, but he does say shirt, so I'm mm -hmm. imagining full t-shirt, but he still ripped the sleeves off the jeans <laughs> just to make a very cool vest. He has a crossed swords tattoo on his right arm, and he is wielding a club with spikes at the end of it, which is very cool. It's a good vibe, and it's my zombie apocalypse weapon of choice, so respect to jacked father time here. <laughs> He calls for the dog, whose name is Orthus, to heal, and I gotta ask Dr. Moy about what's going on. I want to know about Orthus the dog. What's the history there? And he asks our team if they are cattle rustlers, which I don't know what that means. I would assume, like, a cattle thief of sorts, or maybe someone who wants to do cow tipping. I have no idea what a cattle rustler is. My first thought was cow tipping. Yeah, so. which, don't ever do that. Why would you do that? Cows are just minding their own business. <sighs> exactly. Annabeth says that they are just travelers on a quest, and his eye twitches, and he asks if they're half-bloods. Percy starts to go, yeah, how'd you know? But Annabeth stops him and grabs his arm, which is someone invested in their potential relationship. You know, all right, okay. Mm -hmm. She introduces herself as a daughter of Athena, Percy as a son of Poseidon, Grover as a satyr, and before that she can say Tyson is a cyclops, this guy finishes her sentence. There's a lot of finishing of each other's sentences going on in this chapter. Mm -hmm. A lot of people being on the same wavelength. The entire time at this ranch just feels like absolute chaos to me. And I'm so here for this vibe. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's very different and it's very chaotic, as you mentioned. He introduces himself as Erution? Erution? I have no idea how to properly pronounce this one. Honestly, neither do I. And as I've like listened to your podcast, I and every time you come across like a new monster or a weird name, I'm so thankful that you're the one saying the names and <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> you know, that is part of what comes to the territory of making a podcast is usually I'm going to be getting all the feedback and all the corrections, even when my guest is the one to do the wrong thing. Uh, I'm not going to name any names here, but, you know, uh, sometimes that happens and I still get it. But, oh, this. OK, so I Googled 
<laughs> I Googled it to try to get the pronunciation wrong. And I was going to make a joke about how autocorrect in my notes app wanted to correct what I had been writing, which is E-R-U-Y-T-I-O-N in my notes. Autocorrect wanted to keep making that eruption, which valid, but <laughs> it's apparently E-U-R-Y-T-I-O-N. So it's, I think it's Eurition is I think Eurition, Eurition, something I like that. No Let me try idea. Googling that and then pronunciation. All right, this is according to pronouncenames.com, and they say Erutian. All right, Erutian. So, Erutian, if you have any sort of issue with me saying Erutian, listeners at home, please send an email to pronouncenames.com. So, he introduces himself as Erutian, and he says he is the cowherd of the ranch, and he is a fellow half-blood. He's guessing that they came through the labyrinth, quote, like the other one. And Percy immediately asks, do you mean Nico D'Angelo? <laughs> really just cut into the Annabeth chase here. Eretion says that they get a lot of visitors, but most don't leave because apparently this is the Hotel California. He warns them to return to the maze before it's too late, which I took as a warning that they should take to heart. Because if a half-blood that works for this place is telling them to leave, maybe it's a situation where he is working here against his will and it's some sort of captive type deal. I agree with his warning. However, it does seem like Nico is here and they kind of got to get Nico. So I also agree with Annabeth saying that they're not going to leave until they see the other demigod. She's also aligned with Percy thinking that Nico is here. Eretion says they leave him with no choice but to bring them to the boss. So he takes them along the way. And now we'll take a quick break here for the Admiral of the Labyrinth, where we'll talk about cool, fun updates such as tour shows. I don't know when this episode's coming out, but I might already be in Europe doing live shows. You should listen to the, the mid-roll break. There's always fun stuff in there. Hooray! Hello and welcome to the Admiral of the Labyrinth New York City edition again. I am here with many fun updates, the first of which, in the intro of the episode, I hyped Brady up as a bronze medalist in the 2018 Olympic Games. Well, I'm very excited to report that in between us recording and this episode releasing, that Brady Tunnell just won the silver medals at the 2023 Figure Skating Nationals. At the very end of the episode, she will talk about, oh, I'm competing in this competition. Well, guess what? She won silver. Over at that competition, it is super cool. I am super proud. And the official figure skater of TNO absolutely killed it. I'm so stoked. I love this. It's so much fun. Shout out to Brady. Ugh, what a time. What a time. If you want to see the performance that got Brady a silver medal, I'll put a link to it in the description of this episode. There's also fun other announcements. Notably, coming up soon, I will be in California for three live shows with the newest Olympian and Potterless as well. Going to be in San Francisco doing a half Potterless, half TNO show on February 20th. Going to be in LA on the 21st for two separate shows. We've got an 8 o'clock TNO show and a 10 o'clock Potterless show. And then we'll be in San Francisco on the 23rd of February for a two shows, one act of each double feature, just like with San Diego. You can get tickets to all of these shows at thenewsolympian.com. And also a European tour is happening in March and April of 2023, doing Potterless and TNO shows in many countries. So far at the time of recording on February 5th, the live show tickets for Dublin are currently live. If you go to thenewsolympian.com slash live, you can get tickets. The other shows will be coming live throughout this week. So this episode's coming out on February 6th. In the days after that, 
that there will be tickets available for shows in London and Amsterdam and Oslo and Copenhagen and Helsinki in Berlin and in Munich. I'm very excited to do these shows. I basically just picked the cities in Europe with the most downloads and fit in as many shows as I could in a month without stressing myself out too much. So there's going to be a whole bunch of fun stuff happening. You can get tickets over the course of this month at thenewsolympian.com slash live. As I said, Dublin is already live. The other ones should be coming soon, but I'm going to try to get those up and live. And I'm very excited for those shows. Ah, so stoked about it. Now, as far as things in this episode, I really poorly butchered the pronunciation of Euridian or Euritian. I kept acting like the U was after the R, which it wasn't. And I came so close to catching that. And then I listened to that pronunciation website and it said it weird. And then I got all screwed up. I've done episodes in the future. So save your emails. I know it's Euridian or Euritian or something like that. I understand now that the U is before the R. I'd also like to thank everybody that came and watched the Hades stream that Stephen, Johnny, Kelly, and I did recently. It was so much fun. It was just a great time playing the game and interacting with the chat and having a fun time. Shout out to Stephen for facilitating stuff and shout out to everyone who watched. And if you want to watch it, the replay of it is available. If you go to the newsolympian.com slash Patreon, it's available for all patrons. You can watch the replay, three hours of goodness. We also did another one. So if you want six hours of Hades, the video game content and me playing and Stephen sort of narrating and stuff, both of us talking, answering listener questions and stuff like that as well. Just some good stuff. Go to the slash Patreon. And speaking of that Patreon, we have a whole bunch of new patrons. Shout out to our newest Ultra God tier patron, Riley Draken. And shout out to Rayla Matthews, who upgraded to the Ultra God tier. Shout out to our newest Mega God tier patrons, Two Fates Minus the Blue String, Sindhu Nathan, and Happy Early Birthday, Casey Morgan. Mike immortalized your name on a podcast episode. Shout out to our new Super God tier patron, Andrea Bridges, or Andrea Bridges, as I've talked about in a previous episode. I need to know a way to distinguish between the two types of pronunciations for that spelling of name. Shout out to our newest God tier patrons, JD Heisey, Sophie, Melanie McCoy, Megan Kirby, Tesca, Tyler Board, Ms. Says Howdy Sam, and Mateo Brando. And shout out to our newest Emmy God tier patrons, Clayton and Elizabeth Wilson, Taylor Logan, Megan, Rebecca Sachs, CEO of Tripping But Not Falling, Rebecca Fox, McGoyver, and that is spelled with a G-U-I, so McGoyver, Himani Agrawal, Ember Lowe, Emily Francis, Manny, Oh My God, It's Fallen, Cyan Cicada, Erin Peely, Addie, It's Pits, Kat, Kate Christie, and Zofia. I also want to give a shout out to Aprotney, who upgraded their pledge and had a birthday recently. And I want to give a shout out to Emily and Arik, who also upgraded their pledge so that I could wish them both a happy birthday because they have birthdays pretty close to each other. That is the policy for birthday stuff. I don't do just like random birthday shout outs, but if you either make your patron name a birthday thing for somebody else or even for yourself, or if you upgrade, then yeah, I'll do that. But I got to draw the shout out line somewhere. So I just, if you make your patron name birthday things, I'm going to say it just like that person made their whole name a happy Happy birthday wish. You can do whatever you want. But thank you all so much for your patronage. May Hermes bless you so that when you are running late to catch public transit, you just have so much luck with speed and getting through the turnstile and your card swipe working and getting down the stairs and everything so that you make the train and you don't miss it. I'm definitely not running into the experience where I keep barely missing trains now that I'm back in New York City. Mm -mm, couldn't be me. Who would that happen to? Now, if you're all caught up on the News Olympian and you are looking for a new podcast to listen to, you should check out some of the other shows that I make. I make a couple of other podcasts. I think 
think they're very good. I think you would enjoy them. One of the ones that I make that I think you would enjoy is called Horse. It's a comedic basketball podcast about the WNBA and the NBA, where me and my buddy Adam Amawala, who is a stand-up comedian, talk about basketball, but just the entertaining stuff. We talk about the drama. We talk about the Twitter beefs. We talk about the uniforms. We talk about the trades. We talk about NBA and WNBA history. We talk about Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and all the silly things that they're up to in the past and the present. And it's just a fun way for you to understand a little bit more about sports. We have an episode coming out soon that has a really interesting interview just about the complexity of fandom and getting into sports. We've done a couple of different things just about how fandom in terms of people who like comic book series or YA series or whatever how that fandom is actually pretty similar to sports fandom. And I think that you would agree because you all are fans ostensibly of Percy Jackson and other stuff. And maybe that could bleed into sports stuff too. So if you want to see how that could happen for you, why don't you listen to Horse? It's available wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Horse or going to our website, horsehoops.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Denmark, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in Danish. Once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. And we're back. So our team is now walking down a dirt road in what feels like 100 degree weather for what feels like forever. There's bugs about. It seems like a bad situation. They pass fire breathing horses, which sounds terrifying. And Percy asks what they're for. Eretion says that they raise animals for lots of clients like Apollo, Diomedes, Diomedes, and dot, 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 others. That dot, 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 incredibly ominous. Percy picks up on the dot, dot, dot. He asks who the others are, but Eretion says, no more questions. I think Chiron got to him. Yep, yep. Chiron was <laughs> like, yo, plot purposes. It would be way cooler if the big bad explained this. Say nothing. <laughs> so they approach the big ranch house, which Annabeth says looks like a Frank Lloyd Wright. Narrator Percy says, I guess she was talking about some architectural thing. You are correct, Percy. Frank Lloyd Wright is one of the few architects I know because I like to do the very cool joke that my architect wife definitely appreciates, which is just me spurting the five things about architecture I know anytime architecture comes up. And it's definitely not overstated. It's welcome. It's funny every single time. <laughs> As they walk up the steps, Eretian warns them not to fight or draw weapons or make any comments on the boss's appearance. They then hear, welcome to Triple G Ranch, and I thought, aha, I figured this would be it. Not necessarily a great prediction on my part, seeing that we had a box that had a ranch on it and the chapter title said they're going to a ranch. So, easy guess for me, but at least we can see a bit of a link between the crate of, I'm assuming, scorpions and this place here. Mm -hmm. So this guy apparently has a normal head, slicked back hair, and a pencil mustache like an old school movie villain. His smile looks mischievous, and his body looks absolutely whack and confusing because he has three bodies. Percy describes this as, quote, his neck connected to the middle chest like normal, but he had two more chests, one to either side, connected at the shoulders with a few inches between them. 
His left arm grew out of his left chest, and the same on the right, so he had two arms, but four armpits, if that makes any sense. The chests all connected into one enormous torso with two regular but very beefy legs, and he wore the most oversized pair of Levi's I'd ever seen. His chests each wore a different color, western shirt, green, yellow, and red, like a stoplight. I wondered how he dressed the middle chest, since it had no arms, and Uncle Rick is getting weird in this book, and I am here for it. (laughs) To this day, I still have trouble picturing this guy in my head. It's very confusing, but honestly, the four armpits line made the most sense to me of Mm -hmm. trying to understand the separation between the torso. So weirdly, the most confusing bit helped me the most, but I agree with you. It's still kind of weird. I am so excited to see how they do all of the stuff when they get to book four in the TV show. Because you've got... The hundred-handed ones. You've got this guy. You've got Janice. There are some funky people in this book, and Mm -hmm. I am excited to see how they become visual. I'm assuming CGI. I don't know how practical effects would get in the mix. It's going to be very interesting. Yes. So Eretion nudges Percy to say hello to Mr. Geryon, is my guess of pronunciation, G-E-R-Y-O-N. And Percy just fumbling the introduction in the worst possible way. (laughs) His streak of not breaking the one instruction in terms of saying stuff and not fighting things, his streak lasts two words because he says, hi, nice chests, uh, ranch, nice ranch you have. Oh, it couldn't have got any worse. Literally. To me, this feels like on those old sitcoms when they have like this many days without an accident and then they just have to erase it and go zero. Like, that's what this is. Mm hmm. So Nico then comes out, which I was surprised he came out so quickly, and he immediately draws his sword when he sees them, but Mr. Garyon tells him to put it away. Nico protests because it's Percy Jackson, and Garyon fills in Nico's sentence saying he knows it's Percy Jackson and Annabeth, and they're monster friends. And I wrote, Grover, a monster? Really? And then immediately the next line, Grover takes offense to this line, and Tyson, who is just He's already batting a thousand in this entire series, but what a chapter from Tyson, who then says, that man is wearing three shirts. <laughs> chapter eight, book four Tyson is so far peak Tyson. He yes. is firing on all cylinders right now. Yes. <laughs> I feel like everyone is just on such a different wavelength. Mm-hmm. And, oh, the chaos. I'm so here for it. Right. All we needed in chapter eight was Tyson saying something sentimental, and then we would have had the full Tyson pie. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing missing. But in terms of comedic effect and wonderful timing, Tyson is really doing well here. Nico screams that they let Bianca die and they are here to kill him. And I thought, all right, bud, calm down a little bit. I don't know that they're trying to kill you. That's a bit of a jump here. Percy assures Nico that they are not here to kill him. And he tries to explain the whole Bianca situation. But Nico yells for him to not speak her name and that he's not worthy to talk about her at all. Annabeth asks Garion how he knew them, which I'm glad Annabeth did that because that was a question I had. And he says that he keeps it his business to stay informed. Quote, everybody pops into the ranch from time to time. Everyone needs something from old Garion. And I don't know what this means. I don't know what he's implying, but I do know that I hate this and I don't like this guy. And he's reminding me of Mr. Sir from Holes. That was the vibe I was getting from him. Just very Southern and very evil. Mm hmm. And I will say nothing else. (laughs) Okay. Narrator Percy notes that Nico looks skinnier than he did the last time he saw him in the Iris message situation. His clothes are dusty from the labyrinth and his eyes are full of hatred. 
Nico reluctantly sheaths his sword at the behest of Garion, but he warns Percy that he will summon help if Percy comes near him, and Percy won't like the help that is summoned, and Percy says that he believes him. <laughs> they board a zoo trolley type thing, one of those little tram car things that drives around, and Percy calls it the Moomobile. <laughs> really good stuff. Amazing. Really good stuff. Maybe you could have just called it the Moobile, but Moomobile, pretty solid here. <laughs> Nico sits all the way in the back. Eritian sits next to him. Garion is in the front with Orthus, and then Annabeth, Tyson, Grover, and Percy take the middle two cars. I just wrote in my notes here, are these seating arrangements important? <laughs> it was a lot of time explaining how they sat in the car, and I didn't know that it really mattered. I guess it kind of does at the end, but it just felt very strange to be like, they are sitting here. They are sitting here. Okay, this is four sentences, Uncle Rick. Let's get it going. Mm -hmm. I think it's just a little visual, but yeah, it's a little long. <laughs> mm -hmm. The tour begins. Garen explains that they mostly have horses and cattle, but they've all sorts of exotic creatures as well. Annabeth gasps at the sight of hippolectrions. Lots of funky words coming in this chapter. Dr. Moya, please, what the heck is a hippolectrion? She thought they were extinct, which is why she was surprised. They then pass some creatures, which are front half horse, back half rooster, which is truly ridiculous. Tyson identifies them as rooster ponies because he's having a perfect chapter and he's keeping it going. He asks if they lay eggs, and Garion says that they do once a year and they're in high demand for omelets. This enrages Annabeth and Grover, but Garion says gold is gold and the omelets are tasty, which did have me very intrigued. I agree this is probably a bad thing, but also part of me was like, okay, but what do the omelets taste like? Because <laughs> I do love a good omelet, so I really want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Garion explains that the fire-breathing horses are bred for war and the red cows are the meat to feed armies. And that makes Grover really upset, truly furious that sacred cows of the sun god are being used for burger meat. And he cites that this is against the ancient laws. And Garion says they're just animals and if Apollo cared, he would say something. But Percy murmurs, if he knew. <laughs> <laughs> Nico says, I don't care about any of this, Garyon. We had business to discuss, and this wasn't it. And look, not to poop on Uncle Rick's parade, but I was also feeling this way too. And, you know, the scene setting is nice, but I'm more invested in the whole why is Nico here, what's going on of it all, much more than these cool animals and stuff. I'm also not necessarily a big animal person, but I'm glad Nico expressed this frustration. And I think it's probably self-aware Uncle Rick knowing, okay, people want to know what's going on, so I can't do too much ranch description here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also felt that way. <laughs> Garion says that they will discuss this later. Percy then suddenly remembers that Triple G Ranch was on Quintus's crates. And Percy brings up Quintus and the scorpions, and then we get this exchange. Garion talking about Quintus saying, short, gray hair, muscular swordsman? And Percy goes, yeah. And Garion goes, never heard of him. I'm very intrigued, very intrigued to know the backstory. Maybe these two are linked in the original myth. It's all very intriguing for me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so, oh, I, mm, uh, yeah, thinking about this, hmm, I would hope, uh, hmm, this could go one of two ways. It could be that Quintus and Garion are in cahoots and that he gave them the scorpions, but the scorpions didn't really turn out to be evil. It was just use for the camp. So it could just be genuinely that Quintus paid this guy some gold and got some scorpions delivered. But there is also the possibility that Quintus and Garion are in cahoots, and that is how Garion is informed because Quintus is at the camp. 
So that could be setting up Quintus being the spy slash scout. But again, it just feels too easy. I hate this. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. And you can't say anything. So let's move on. So they head over to some horse stables, which are in truly awful condition. There is poop everywhere, which at first I thought, is this really relevant? And it later becomes incredibly relevant poop. Mm hmm. Garion says that they belong to Aegis and that they watch over them for a monthly fee. Grover is aghast at the conditions, but Garion says that they are flesh-eating horses, so that's the condition that they like, which feels like a stretch, and Eretian calls his BS here, and Garion admits that they are just hard to clean, but people pay a pretty penny for flesh-eating horses, so he keeps them around. Annabeth calls him a monster, and Garion says, what gave it away? Was it the three bodies, which... Okay, that's a pretty good retort. Annabeth didn't mean that kind of monster. I begrudgingly have to hand it to Gary in here. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good line. (laughs) Grover pleads for him to let the animals go. Annabeth guesses that his clients are Kronos and other members of Kronos' army. Garion doesn't confirm. He simply states that he works for anyone with gold. And this non-answer basically means, yeah, that's exactly correct. Annabeth has nailed it. Mm-hmm. The Moomobile ride ends. Nico gets out saying that he came for business and he hasn't received an answer. He says that his ghost told him that Garion would guide him to the soul he needs. And Percy is surprised because Percy thinks that this soul is him, very self-centeredly, and Nico gives the perfect reply saying, you? Why would I want you? Bianca's soul is worth a thousand of yours. Now, can you help me, Garion, or not? And look, I don't think it was very hard for anyone to predict that it wasn't actually Percy. So for Nico to prove him wrong in this way is very funny and honestly, probably a little embarrassing for Percy. Yeah, he's really suffering from a case of main character syndrome here. Yeah, which is not a common thing for Percy. I appreciate that he is not necessarily as me-centric as some other main characters can be. But yeah, this was the rare slip up of Percy thinking, oh, well, clearly it's all about me. Mm -hmm. I think he probably had the idea because he thinks Nico hates him so much, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the opposite. Yeah, it's a weirdly self-deprecating way, but it is still at the same time a little bit self-centered. It's an interesting situation. Yeah. Garion says he can help, but he asks where Nico's ghost friend is. Nico uneasily says he can't form in broad daylight, but he's around somewhere, which to me sounds like Nico killed this ghost friend or they had some sort of disagreement and this ghost friend isn't around. It seems like a lie. Yeah. The whole situation is just really sketchy with this Mm -hmm. ghost. Yeah. I hope we learn how it all comes to be because after this reveal we're about to have right now when Garion smiles and says, I'm sure Minos likes to disappear when things get difficult. And I legitimately Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, two hand gasped (laughs) when he said Minos, because I didn't see this coming. And I immediately wanted to reread any interaction with the ghost to see if there was any sort of hint laid. I'm sure there is. But that is just a really fun way to tie the two stories together. Mm -hmm. And I'm Loving it. I love this. And now I'm even further intrigued to see how Minos found Nico or if Nico found Minos and how that whole dynamic worked out. I'm sure that Nico will eventually explain this to Percy, or at least I hope he does. So I'm incredibly excited to see how this goes. It just makes an already intriguing thing of who's this ghost guy? Now, weirdly, by answering who the ghost guy is, I have more questions than answers. Yeah. Yeah. Percy is 
floored, just like I was, and he asks aloud if Nico was really taking advice from an evil king. And Nico seems to be a little embarrassed by this, telling Percy it's none of his business, and he asks Garion what he meant by things getting difficult. And Garion says, well, you see, Nico, can I call you Nico? And Nico goes, no. And then Garion goes, you see, Nico, uh, I want to hate these villains, but they're so well-crafted. What a great interchange. He continues, you see, Nico, Luke Castellan is offering very good money for half-bloods, especially powerful half-bloods, and I'm sure when he learns your little secret, who you really are, he'll pay very, very well indeed. And I wrote in my notes, Nico, you fool, but then I immediately remembered, okay, Nico is a child. At least we think his age is confusing and up in the air, but for the purposes of his personality, he's a child, so mm-hmm. you kind of have to get it, but also, why would you tell him this, Nico? Come, like, I, maybe he didn't tell him this, maybe this dude figured it out. Uh, I just, uh, I, uh, Nico, come on. You're making things very difficult for everyone. I feel like he kind of, like the monster figured it out just because the monsters kind of just have an innate sense. And they always know the names before, like Percy or Annabeth tell them their names. So that's true. I don't think he actually told him, but. Yeah. If we find out that Nico goes, hello, my name is Nico D'Angelo. My dad is Hades. Then I'll be very upset, but <laughs> you're right. I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt for now. Nico draws his sword, and Eretian knocks it from his hand. Orthus pounces on Percy before he can get up out of the Moomobile to help. And then Garion tells the team to stay in the car, or Orthus will rip out Percy's throat, which is very scary. Garion orders Eretian to secure Nico, and Eretian asks if he must, and Garion yells, yes, you fool, so he does. Garion commands him to pick up the sword as well, saying, quote, there's nothing I hate worse than Stygian iron. And Stygian, huge word, I should have made this connection before, but when you have Stygian and a sword together, it makes a lot of light bulbs turn on for me because in Hades, the video game, the sword is called the Stygian blade. It's sometimes called Stygius. And I was really surprised here. And but I should have not been surprised. Like, obviously, <laughs> the sword of Hades, Stygius, if Nico has this sword, yeah, that makes sense. So I was very excited at this and then immediately frustrated that I didn't guess this or see this coming <laughs> when earlier we were trying to figure out what is up with this magical evil metal sword that people are afraid of. It's obviously Stygius. I'm kicking myself here. I'm kicking (laughs) myself. So Eretian picks up the sword, avoiding the blade, which makes me wonder what happens if you touch the blade. I'm guessing it just, you know, is like celestial bronze where it can vanquish people. So Mm -hmm. I want to know more about the sword because obviously I know about the sword in the context of Hades the video game. But in the context of the Percy Jackson universe, what's the sword like? Garion calls for them to return to the lodge, eat lunch, and then they'll do an iris message to the Titan army. Annabeth is enraged. Garion tells her not to worry because once he hands over Nico, he will let them free because he doesn't interfere with quests and he's been paid to give them safe passage. Annabeth asks, paid by whom? Shout out to her grammar for saying paid by whom. But Garion refuses to answer. I'm guessing that it's Luke and it's part of the whole bargain or whatever. And uh, here we go with a very interesting setup. I didn't see this coming, but shout out to Percy because Percy screams wait because he wants to make a deal with Garion, citing that Garion keeps referring to himself as a businessman. So naturally he'd want to take a deal. Garion asks if he has gold. Percy says that he has something better. He wants to barter. Eretian kind of jokingly, but I guess not really, suggests having Percy clean the stables. And Percy says, I'll do it, saying that if he fails, Garion gets all of them, the whole team, to trade to Luke for gold. But if he succeeds, Garion has to let all of them go, including Nico. 
And at this point, I wrote in my notes, don't you dare play rock, paper, scissors, Percy, because there is only so many times where you can trick someone with some shenanigans about the rules of rock, paper, scissors. But alas, it's not that. And I didn't realize that he literally meant that he was going to scoop the poop and that failing was a actual risk here. Mm-hmm. I thought he was just saying, I'll do whatever you want. And if I fail, blah, blah, blah. But we'll see that that's what he literally means. Nico protests to this because he doesn't want Percy's help. Garion chuckles that the stables haven't been cleaned in a thousand years, but he does like the prospect of having more land for increased stable space. So we have very much established that what Percy's task will be is to clean the stables, and he could fail to clean the stables, which I just thought was a funny concept of, oh, I have failed to remove all of the poop. (laughs) Yeah, the whole concept is just absolutely ridiculous, but it's so iconic for this book, I feel like. Yeah, it is perfectly on brand. Percy asks what he has to lose. Garion accepts and says that he'll take his friends back to the lodge. Annabeth says, I hope you know what you're doing. Percy says, I hope so too, which is something that I definitely live in my life, which is agreeing (laughs) to something and then afterwards saying, all right, time to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Garion says that Percy must do it by sunset. He laughs, he sounds his cowbell horn, and then he departs in the Moomobile. And then we get on to chapter nine, which is called I Scoop Poop. We're only going to get into a little bit of this, but I think for setting the scene of the aforementioned poop scooping, I think it's good just to get the context of what's going on and then we can kind of leave it as a bit of a cliffhanger. But chapter nine is called I Scoop Poop. So my guess was just, well, because <laughs> I feel like it's very to the point. Things do not get off to a great start. Percy tries talking to one of these flesh-eating horses who is very on brand to only care about eating flesh. This horse is only excited at the prospect of eating Percy. And when Percy explains that he is the son of Poseidon who invented horses, the horse gleefully replies that Poseidon can come too so that the horses can eat both of them. And then he calls them seafood. A bunch of horses go seafood. And (laughs) oh, just a very funny situation, but also a very dire situation that Percy has here. Mm -hmm. Percy believes that he can complete this task because apparently Hercules did it. So I know Hercules had a bunch of labors. I did not know that cleaning up a bunch of poop and maybe it wasn't poop. Maybe it was just like cleaning the stables or whatever. But I feel like with each new labor of Hercules I learn about, it gets more and more ridiculous. And with this one being a labor, it's firmly established that you could probably tell me anything was a labor of Hercules and I would believe it. I'd say, yeah, that makes sense. He had to hopscotch a hundred spaces without falling over. Yeah, that sounds like a task of Hercules. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) So... Percy recalls that Hercules channeled a river into the stables. So Percy thinks, easy peasy, my dad's Poseidon, I can control water, no problem at all. And honestly, that's some pretty great thinking from Percy. Mm -hmm. There are some problems, however. Percy can't get close to the horses because they want to eat his flesh. The river is downhill from the stables, and it's about a half a mile away from the stables, so pretty far. Percy does one singular shovel of poop to see how that would go, and he realizes, okay, no, I have to make this river work, so he runs down the hill. The sun is already beginning to set, so he is very much pressed for time, so he heads on down to the river. 
when he gets to the river, he comes across a girl in jeans, a t-shirt, and river grass braided into her hair. Lots of braids in hair going on in Percy Jackson, which is a good vibe and very much a Greek vibe, but Mm -hmm. a very common theme of people having braided hair and stuff braided in their hair. Do you braid your hair for ice skating? Do you do ponytail? What's the optimal hair situation? Yeah, so it's really funny you mentioned that because I skate with my hair in a bun every day and I have for like probably 15 years and like my name is Brady so everyone's favorite joke when they meet me is to be like oh Brady with the braids I'm like "Ah, so original no one's ever heard it yeah yeah (laughs) yeah as someone whose last name is Schubert and people make some sort of Sherbert joke anytime people make a Sherbert joke I go oh my god that's so funny I've never heard that before and people go wait really and I go no I've heard that every day (laughs) since I was five (laughs) yeah yeah it's exactly the same so I give you full permission to do that if people make a Brady Braids joke. (laughs) This girl is upset, and Percy asks if she's a naiad, and she confirms that she is in a very sassy manner. Percy is confused because she speaks English and she's out of the water, but she says, I can act like a human if I want to, and Percy then retroactively feels bad, realizing, oh yeah, I've never really taken the time to learn anything about naiads. They just are on the lake and they giggle sometimes, and that's where my knowledge of them starts and ends. So maybe (laughs) this will inspire Percy to have a conversation with some other people. But in Percy's defense, he's usually very busy at camp. He's very preoccupied with saving the world. So I can understand that he hasn't been able to small talk with people. We'll forgive him this time. (laughs) Yeah, we'll give him a a pass here. But talk to some naiads. So he begins to ask for permission, I guess, to use the river to clean the poop. But she, again, filling in the sentences, she knows exactly what he is going to ask and refuses to have her river be used for that purpose again. So this is the exact same river. She is burned by what happened with Hercules. And honestly, I get it. I don't know exactly the connection between naiads and the river, but I can understand that if this is your home or at least the river that you're in charge of, you wouldn't want it to be used to clean up literally a thousand years worth of poop. I totally side with the naiad here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And her quote is tremendous. Quote, oh, save it, sea boy. You ocean god types always think you're so much more important. And yes, that is so with five O's. So much more important than some little river, don't you? Well, let me tell you, this, in italics, naiad, is not going to be pushed around just because your daddy is beside it. This is freshwater territory, mister. The last guy who asked me this favor, oh, he was way better looking than you, by the way. (laughs) What? Catching strays. Unnecessary (laughs) dig here. He convinced me, and that was the worst mistake I've ever made. Do you have any idea what all that horse manure does to my ecosystem? Do I look like a sewage treatment plant to you? My fish will die. I'll never, in italics, get the mulch out of my plants. I'll be sick for years. No thank you. All caps on the no thank you. So, look, I totally get it. I completely get where she's coming from here. Me too. I... Do not want my home filled with poop either, so. Not at all. Narrator Percy notes that the way she talks reminds him of Rachel Elizabeth Dare, and I like Rachel Elizabeth Dare getting another mention. I want her to make some sort of return. Big fan of hers. Need to get her back in the story. And even Percy, as the narrator notes, that he can't blame the naiad as well. He says, quote, now that I thought about it, I'd be pretty mad if somebody dumped four million pounds of manure in my home. But still, he then says, my friends are in danger. And she doesn't care. She's like, boo-hoo, too bad, so sad. 
bad, not my problem. You're not going to ruin my river. And she is so upset that she looks like she's ready to fight. She's balled up her fists. I don't know how big she is, but this is a very spunky, feisty naiad. And I am incredibly here for it. She's quickly becoming one of my favorite side characters that we've come across. Yeah, I love how she realizes she made a mistake a thousand years ago. And she's like, I am not doing that again. I don't care who you are. Exactly. Now, to my surprise and to her surprise, Percy just says, okay, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to ruin your river. And she is very surprised and has to quickly go from, oh, oh, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm. Like, (laughs) really trying to turn it around. But he then does let her know about the stakes, which is the fact that him and his friends are going to get sold off to the Titans if he doesn't clean the stables by sunset. And I was wondering if Percy was genuinely saying this or if he was kind of doing the whole, oh, no, if uh, if you don't help me out here, me and my <laughs> friends like I, is he, I want to know how thick he's laying it on here. <laughs> I would say he's probably being pretty genuine, but there's also probably a little bit of dramatics going on, too. <laughs> Right. Now, the naiad says that she's going to let Percy in on a little secret, and she tells him to scoop up some dirt. And he's confused, but she goes, come on, scoop up some dirt. So he crouches down. He scoops up a handful of the dirt. Percy notes that it's dry and it's black and it's spotted with little clumps of white rocks. And then he realizes, wait a second, it's something besides the rock. And the naiad clarifies that they are shells. They're petrified seashells. And she says, quote, millions of years ago, even before the time of the gods, when only Gaia and Aranos reigned, this land was under the water. It was part of the sea. And then Percy then has his eureka moment where if this all used to be the sea, then there would be some fossilized shells and stuff with thin the limestone rocks so he realizes this is good but he doesn't exactly realize how he can utilize this and at this point i was wondering i don't know if this is a situation where he can literally move not water but then the naiad says quote you're not so different from me demigod even when i'm out of the water the water is within me it is my life source i hope you find a way to rescue your friends and then she turns into liquid and melts into the river and on this new cliffhanger where we kind of know something that's happening but not necessarily what's going on we're going to end this episode of the newest olympian i have not read past this part i am very intrigued to see how this all works But we will just have to see. But Brady, thank you so much for joining on the pod. This was so fun. The newest Olympian has never been more Olympic. (laughs) If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you? I follow you on Instagram where you post cool reels of you doing ice skating tricks that I could never even (laughs) fathom doing. So that's a fun follow. But is there anything else you'd like to plug for the folks listening? No, I I pretty much only post stuff on Instagram. So your best bet of seeing what I'm up to is definitely on there. I actually try and stay away from Twitter because it is a very scary place. Yeah. So Instagram is definitely the best bet. (laughs) Okay. Are there any upcoming skate competitions or something you'll be at? Can we watch you on TV? Like if someone happens, I know you're in France. I don't know if you're like, yeah, if you happen to be in Nice, come through. (laughs) Actually, yes. So our national championships, I'll be competing in California two weeks from tomorrow. So if you want to tune into the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, uh, it'll be on NBC Sports. Okay. So you can find me there. I will have to see if I can get that or stream it or something. But look, you have easily become my favorite figure skater, <laughs> easily the number one, vaulting all of the other figure skaters that I definitely know. So 
I'm excited. Maybe we can get a little TNO contingent of uh, fans rooting for you. But I guess, oh no, by the time this comes out, I think that will have already completed. So maybe I'll have to spoil that you're going to be on the pod and, and tell people <laughs> to watch it. So maybe people watch it in the past or whatever, but I'll be cheering for you. Fear not. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is your Instagram handle if people want to find that? I don't know if you gave the actual handle. Oh, no, I didn't. It's literally just my name at Brady Tunnell. Okay, sweet. And if people want to know how to spell it, it's in the title of this episode. Well, Brady, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, as we figure out what Percy can exactly do with the rock and the dirt and the sea beneath him, because people, of course, can help, but they can't help him too much and be too direct. Until we figure out what's going on there, I'll Percy you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campomanos and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you love the show, you're all caught up on the show, and you just can't get enough, you should check out our Patreon, where you can get access to loads of bonus content, bonus episodes, bloopers, director's commentary, monthly Q&A live streams, all sorts of good stuff lives at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. And if you want to rep the show, you can get some merch at thenewsolympian.com slash merch. If you want to be part of a larger community, you can join the Patreon, get access to our Discord, but you can also check us out on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the News Olympian. We even have a TikTok account that Sherry runs. It's at News Olympian. Lots of good stuff on social media. This show wouldn't be possible without our patrons, and I want to give a shout out to our ultra god tier patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Haskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Carly Allen, Riley Kitas, Mary Kelly, Audra, McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Aaron Wood, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sankoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Michelle Spurgeon, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, Francesca Pacheco, John Drielsma, Demigod Nurse, Rayla Matthews, and Riley Draken. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, tell a friend about the show. That really helps a ton. Reach out to someone directly and say, hey, you love Percy Jackson, or hey, you've been looking for an excuse to read Percy Jackson. There's this podcast. It's very good. The host is very humble. You could also talk about us on social media or leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. All these things help, and I really appreciate all of you who have done that or will do it in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, where we will be joined by repeat guest Joel Rochester as we finish up chapter nine and get into chapter 10 of the Battle of the Labyrinth. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mix. So I ran out of voice memos from Australia, New Zealand, so we're back to doing other things. Currently, I'm at a desk here at the place we're subletting in New York City, and there's lots of stuff that I could make noise with, so I'm going to make noise with that. First off, here's a jar of pens and markers and pencils and stuff. Now I'm going to take this mouse that I have and click it near the microphone. That is the gaming microphone. Oh, that was an elbow pop. That was the gaming microphone that I used when we played Hades the video game recently. What else do we have here? I have one of those forearm squeezy things that used to squeak, but ever since I got it to New York, it doesn't squeak anymore. So I don't know if this will make any noise. I guess you can hear just a little bit of the... And finally, I'm going to rub your pop filter, by your, I mean mine that's on my microphone, with the one that is over the microphone that I use when I use my camera to record video blocks and stuff.
I don't know if the scratching will be picking up, but I'm rubbing windsock against windsock and seeing what kind of fusion that makes. Anyway, thank you so much for listening.